0: Yesterday, in our teacher's meeting, somebody mentioned that grace is the bedrock and the foundation of our Christian faith and our Christian existence. And truly, faith in grace, pardon me, when you talk about grace, you can discuss grace from various topics, various angles, if you will, associating with salvation, associating with sustaining us as children of God. There are many different ways we can think about grace. And I believe as long as we live as children of God, we will be trying to grow in grace and to appreciate and understand it better. I stand here before you tonight as a result of God's grace. It is very humbling. To think that this living God would choose an earthen vessel, a vessel of clay, to communicate the words of life. It is a sobering thought to think that this God, the God of the universe, has chosen to use people, to communicate to people. So something that we can communicate at our level, he could have done many other ways. But yet it is not man or woman, mother or father, minister or anybody else, Bible class teacher that speaks, that changes lives, but it is the Holy Spirit that changes lives. Let's keep that always in forefront of our minds, that it is the Holy Spirit that works in our lives, whether you're converted or you're not. It is the third person of God that is present here with us. And I hope and pray that each and every one of us tonight would leave this room affected in some way that would glorify and please God. That is the purpose we are here. As I contemplated such a weighty subject of grace, how do you approach it? We will be discussing it in a class, and it will be spoken and preached upon. The Lord led me to a very short psalm. Please join me in reading Psalm 8. It's a very brief psalm. But yet, it has a couple of verses that I would like to use with the help of God as a canvas to paint the picture of God and the picture of humanity. And to try to, one more time, re emphasize the need for grace. Psalm 8, written by David O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still be enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, And the beasts of the field. The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea. And whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. When I thought about grace, I thought about God first. And when I thought about God This psalm, the couple of verses in this psalm kept coming to my mind. I want you to imagine David, who lived about 3,000 years ago, completely different lifestyle than what we have today. Here we are enjoying a very pleasant accommodations tonight, cushioned benches with air conditioner. We just had a good meal Electricity, dimmed lights, not to bother your eyes. All the things that we take for granted, that we deserve. David lived, lived in a different time, a very simple life. And as he took care of, perhaps, his family, family's possession, the sheep and whatever else they had, as he took care of them, and as he wandered around the hills of Palestine, and in the evening, as he sat down and for entertainment watched the stars and the moon, he penned down these words. He saw the stars and he saw those little flickers in the sky, and he was just taken at awe, what a you you know Who is he? And what a God that that he serves. How magnificent magnificent this God is. He was so impressed by just seeing these simple things. He recognized God in each and every aspect of his life, no matter how simple that was. But as he looked to the skies, he really was impressed. And the verse 3 says, When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers. He realized even 3,000 years ago that this God of the universe that we serve and that we are inviting tonight those that are not part of the family of God to come and be part of and serve him is the God of the universe that these stars and the moon, no matter how impressive they are, but they're just the little pieces in his hand. I wonder what David Would write and how many verses and how many words would he pen down, be inspired to pen down today if he lived today? He saw God in each and every moment of his life. He recognized God's presence in the creation of the earth, of the universe, of the human being. Do you see God today in everything that surrounds you? Oh, if David lived today, if he could have a telescope, just the ones that we can buy in a regular store and just explore a little further than beyond what the naked eye can see, what he would have written, Imagine. What is man that thou art mindful of him, God? In the last 30 years, This government of ours has spent substantial amount of money to explore the universe. And I can tell you quite a bit of detail because I work for one of the companies that competes each and every year for some of the taxpayers' dollars that NASA spends on space explorations. And perhaps the three largest jewels of that space exploration program are the three space-based telescopes, two of which my company built and one of which I was involved in in designing and working on. But the main purpose for these telescopes that were sent out into space and are functioning, actually one of them has been deorbited, were to explore the universe. The scientists are just baffled with the idea of the universe of its size and to see if they can find the origin. Billions of dollars have been spent by the government. And they will continue to do that. Because man is intrigued by what he sees above. Man is intrigued by what he sees below. And he continues to discover and search. One of those telescopes while ago, send a data, and by the way, all this is a public information. It captured a picture, a birth of a new star. And it says, description was that it was a cloud of gas forming, and it was 170,000 light years away. For those of you mathematically challenged, there's quite a few numbers you got to put together to really compute the distance that we could relate to. Because the distances of the stars and the and the in the the objects in the universe are so vast, man has devised a method of calculating distance in light years. Mainly, how far can light travel in one year, and then multiply that. Most of you, I hope all, as you went through school, realized that light travels very fast, some 186,000 miles a second. When you multiply all this, it comes to like 102 quintillion miles. It's 102 and 18 zeros. I'm not here to impress you with all these mathematical numbers. What I'm trying to tell you, here is the data that just tells us just a small fraction of what is out there, the size of the universe that God has created. When I read information like that, I feel like David. What is man that thou art mindful of him? For you are such a wonderful and such an awesome God. Look at what you have created. And look that to the point that he has given man the ability to go and discover and to find out. But the trouble in all this is, do we see more people coming to God and recognizing God in all this information that we are surrounded with? If David lived today, I'm certain this song would be a lot lengthier, and he would have a lot more words to describe his view and his appreciation of this awesome God that has created this universe. And to wrap up that little story and they say that the the cloud is about 150 light years wide and it's a nursery for number of stars that are bigger than our sun and that there are hundred, that they believe there are 10 billion galaxies with each containing about 100 billion stars i don't know if this is true or not but i know that a lot of data we are gathering god is allowing and revealing information about himself And yet, we're not turning to God. We should be turning to God each and every day as we are blessed with more and more information about ourselves. Look at the advancement in medicine and science and technology. All these things should humble us to realize who this God is. And these are just a few words to try to paint a little picture about this awesome God. And I hope and pray that each and every one of us looks around and recognizes God in every aspect of of our lives. On Sunday evening, Tom mentioned that he sees Christ in so many different things. We need to see God in everything because he has created everything. But then David goes on to say, Okay, so God, if you are so awesome and so big that the universe is in your hand, what is man? What is man that thou art mindful of him and that you care for him? If you consider yourself, if I consider myself in comparing to the size of what God has created out there, we are a speck of dust. Less than that. So those of you outside of Jesus Christ, you must ask yourself then, so why was I created then? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life here below? If I'm just a small element in this universe, why does God care about me? How long will this universe go on? Will this go on each and every day and I think I'm just going to go on forever? Some of the answers we have studied in in the first couple of days. We have to go to the beginning. Genesis 1.26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over all creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female He created he them. Chapter 2, verse 7 says also, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. My friend, outside of Jesus Christ, and this is also for us that have accepted Christ, the important element in this verse 7 is to realize that God created us out of the dust of the ground. See, very little emphasis and focus on the physical construct of our bodies. Dust of the ground. But on the spiritual side, on the side of the soul. That's what's inside. He created us in his own image. When Adam was created, what does it mean to be in the image of this God of the universe? God gave us the rational mind. He gave us an intellect. He gave us ability to think. He gave us emotions that we can love, that we can get angry. But he gave us a will, an ability to choose. See, when God created all this, he told Adam, look at what I've created. I've created all this for my pleasure, but I'm giving it for your enjoyment explore, discover. I have given you a mind that's going to be very inquisitive. It's going to want to find things. Go explore the universe if you want. But this one thing I'm asking you not to do, and that is to touch of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you disobey me, in that day you shall die. Man had a choice. Man has a choice today. For God is not forcing anyone to submit to his leadership. He is looking for willing participants. Adam disobeyed God. He died that day, as God has said, for God is a righteous and holy and just God who cannot go back on his word. His holiness is demanded justice Adam died spiritually that means the relationship that Adam had with with his creator was broken and we studied in a Bible class he was separated, the sin separates from God as a result of that sin not just that he has died spiritually that all those that would come after Adam you and I Whereas as we, if we were present there with him, are under the same curse, born spiritually dead. But in addition to that, a curse was that man would work for a living. With the sweat of his brow, he will earn a living. For those of you that don't like working, read Genesis And that he would die a physical death. And immortal mortal became mortal. See, when God created Adam, his plan was for Adam to have fellowship with God and to live forever. But through disobedience, Adam took on mortality. Hebrews says, For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that judgment... Let me tell you, the destination that we are traveling as lost sinners in this state that we are born, apart from God's grace, is not a pretty one. You know, we travel these days with airplanes, and it's usually very safe. But every so often, we hear about an incident here and there And once in a while, we hear of a tragedy. A plane went down, a crash, nobody survived. And then when that happens, they all go search for that black box. Why? That black box contains very important information. It records the events that took place just before the crash. So the Federal Aviation Association can evaluate this and can understand They realize that they can do nothing about the passengers that have crashed and died, but peradventure that they could improve things and warn and change so that those that would come after would have a better chance. It also records maybe the last few words. Well, I find some correlation in this, for there is a story that Christ gave us in the Gospel of Luke about the rich man and the Lazarus, and he says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and the desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's stable. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receives thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted. And thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Here is the black box message from a trip that went afoul. There was no warning to this rich man that he's going to go down. And what is the message here? We don't know when our day will come. We need to be ready. This scripture spoken by Christ himself talks about hell in this particular place, a place of torment, a place that separates from God. But what's worse about this place is I thought more about hell is not just that it's eternal separation from God. But it is a place in which you will remember perhaps the year 2001 Eastern Camp when you were called, when you were warned. And you said, nah, it's not for me. And that's going to go on in your mind. All those invitations that were sent out by God, inviting you to accept this wonderful gift of grace, said Not for me. Not today. I think that's going to be the worst. You're going to regurgitate that in your mind over and over. I should have. But it's too late. He says, there's a gulf between us. There's no way that one can pass to the other. But God was not shocked when Adam sinned. It was not like a big surprise to God for the plan of salvation was laid before the foundation of the earth. The son of the living God came as a servant, gave his life that through him we may have life eternal. That we can rebuild that relationship with God that was lost in that garden. And Christ told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you that where I go, you may be also. And then Revelation talks about this new Jerusalem that is coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And he talks about its size. I like numbers. I'm a mechanical engineer. For me, numbers are everything. It says that it's in size 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long. That's 2,250,000 square feet, just the ground floor, 1,500 miles high. As we fly, we fly at the elevation of maybe seven miles. Draw your own conclusions. Corinthians says, eye has not seen nor ear has heard. The things that God has prepared for those that love Him. Tonight, I want to ask and beg that you would look around. I want to ask that you see God in everything that is around you. For when you see God for who He is, and when you consider yourself for who we are, practically less than a speck of dust in the sight of God, when you consider what God has done for you and I, that you would accept his grace. We need to see God each and every day in his glory and in his awesome splendor. For he has created us to worship him, to glorify him. That is the purpose that he has created us. And for the children of God, the question that we need to ask ourselves, do those around us see Christ in our lives? May the Lord bless his word unto our hearts.